Well, again, Merry Christmas. What a joy to be with you on this Christmas day. And I hope you've enjoyed this Christmas service so far, wherever you live, whether it's here in Los Angeles, around the United States of America, or around the globe. I want you to know that we are here for you. And as a church family that's existed for 67 years, we simply want to follow Jesus every day and everywhere with everyone. Now on this Christmas day, it's so special that you've chosen to, to join us and then we get to be part of your Christmas tradition. And likely today is a day, if you haven't already, uh, that presents will be opened. And it's so interesting. There's all these toys, of course, that have been given uh, and received around the globe. And some of these famous toys, I don't know if you know some of the histories of the names of these toys, but when you do, for me at least, it adds a deeper level of appreciation. In the 1920s, there was a Filipino toy maker who invented this, this toy. It was a string and it was this round thing that you would throw it and it would come back. You'd throw it and it would come back. And they were trying to figure out the name for this thing that you would throw and it would come back. And there was this Tagalog word that meant, come, come. And in Tagalog, it's yo, yo. What an amazing truth that this thing that so many millions of kids have played actually is a word. Come, come. Another toy in uh, Tanzania, there was a woman who, uh, as she traveled with her missionary parents throughout Africa, born in Tanzania, traveled throughout Africa uh, to bide her time. She and her siblings would take wooden blocks and they would build these things. And as she grew up, she actually invented a toy that is enjoyed by so many people. And it actually comes from the Swahili word, which means to build. And the Swahili word is kujenga. I don't know if you've given or received or played with Jenga, but what an amazing reality that when you build that, it's actually this name that has deep meaning to it. Also, I'm not sure if you were familiar uh, with this. There was a, a Canadian couple who apparently invented this game. They played it with dice and it became this thing that friends and guests on their yacht of all places when they would play this game loved. And as the years went on, the popularity of this uh, game that they played on their yacht uh, grew. And ultimately, there was different patents that were invented and, and put forth and different trademarks. And ultimately, this game that originally was called the Yacht at Sea game, we now know it as Yahtzee. You know, these names that, I don't know, I, I, I take for granted or I have no idea the meaning behind actually reveals to us that things have a history and things have meaning. And in the same way as we gather together on this Christmas day, my hope and my prayer is that you would find great wonder in the name of Jesus. If you have your Bibles, we'd love for you to turn to Luke chapter 2. And as we expand our hearts and our minds to wonder at the name of Jesus, my hope and my prayer is that you would experience two things. That you would wonder at your name and that you would wonder at how God names every single thing that happens in your life. So this is Luke chapter 2, a very short section of scripture as we've gone through this sermon series week by week. Different preachers on our preaching team have tackled different texts in Luke chapter 2 and in Matthew as well. These famous nativity scenes. If you've missed any of them, I encourage you to go to our YouTube channel after the service. Look for Wonder as the sermon series. We started just on the Sunday after Thanksgiving in this Advent season that we wrap up today. And as we get to Luke chapter 2, it's simply verse 21. Let me read for us from the New Revised Standard Version. Short and sweet. After eight days had passed, after the birth of Jesus, it was time to circumcise the child and he was called, he was named Jesus. 
the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. This, my friends, is the reading of God's word. As we say every week, thanks be to God. You know, a lot of people uh, say the name Jesus, and not everybody says the name Jesus in reference to the person who was born, God in the flesh, in the first century in Bethlehem from Nazareth. Uh, This name has become a, a, a thing that people mutter under their breath. Uh, This is a a word that is used when people uh, are frustrated in a situation. And what a great reminder on this Christmas day to remember the meaning of the name Jesus. In fact, it's two words put together. Of course, we've translated into the English this word, this Hebrew word that's two words put together. But in the Hebrew language, it's Yeshua. Of course, we translate it into Jesus In Spanish, it would be Jesus. It would be different in Tagalog. It would be different in Mandarin, this name that's been translated from Yeshua. But when you look at the original meaning of the name Yeshua, it's two words put together again. Uh, The second half of that name, Shua, is the Hebrew word for saves. And the first half, Yah, is the shorthand way to say the name of God, the name above all names, Yahweh. And so when put together, the name of Jesus literally is a declaration, is a proclamation, is the summation of the good news that it is Yahweh who saves. And this name was given not by Mary, not by Joseph, but by an angel months before Mary was with child. And what's so remarkable that in the name of Jesus Packed into that name, two syllables in the English, three syllables in the Hebrew, Yeshua, is the entirety of the Hebrew scriptures, God's redemptive, salvific story, the whole of the nation of Israel and how God moved in powerful ways through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, long before that through Moses, just powerful ways in which God has moved and God has set up all things. The fullness of that story is found embedded in the name Yeshua, in the name of Jesus. And this is a name above all other names, a name, as the book of Romans says, all who believe in Jesus and confess that Jesus is both Lord and Savior will experience a salvation, a reconciling back to God. And the greatest gift of all is a gift that is given, not of a toy, not of a thing, not of an experience, but it's the gift of salvation that is found in Jesus Christ. And wherever Jesus went, people began to experience the fullness of God's heart in the flesh. You know, wherever Jesus went, he constantly said, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is the experience of God's reign and rule. And wherever Jesus went, people experienced what it was like to be in right relationship with God. The blind were able to see The dead were raised from the grave. Those on the margins of society were brought in. The religious leaders were criticized because they had turned this relationship with God into a list of do's and don'ts. And wherever Jesus went, the kingdom of God broke in and Yeshua was the name that defined all of it. It is Yahweh who saves. It is not our good deeds that saves. It is not our church attendance that saves. It is not a person... uh, on this planet who saves, it's not an experience or an education or a level of, uh, uh, of socioeconomic status that saves. It's ultimately salvation comes in the name of Jesus. 
And on this Christmas day, as we wonder in that, as we reflect on that, as we consider that, the two things that I want to impress upon your heart, that I believe God has impressed upon my heart, is that as we sit captivated in this remarkable truth, that really we could spend all of eternity unpacking what it means for God to save us. We begin to realize that that name doesn't have to just do with Jesus, but it has to do with us and has to do with everything around us. You see, when we put our faith and trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, there is a cosmic, supernatural, eternal shift that happens in your life. That from that moment forward, God looks at you as being in Christ. And through your faith and trust in Jesus, again, regardless of your background, regardless of what you've done, regardless of what you haven't done, if you simply with empty hands of faith receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, God looks at you and begins to use new names for you. He calls you beloved child, daughter, son. In fact, Scripture says that you actually become an ambassador for Christ. You become a new creation in Christ. You become part of the royal priesthood. You become part of the body of Christ. You become living stones that are built together to be the temple of God in which God's spirit dwells. Actually, there is deeper names that resonate in you. You know, one of the greatest uh, exercises that I've ever done, I'm not talking about physical exercises, but mental and spiritual exercises, is to pull out a notepad and to begin to write down the answer to this question. What's the truest thing about me? And this is something I've done in my life, and this is something that I've encouraged other people to do, to pull out this notebook and to write down, you know, the answers to that question. What's the truest thing about me? And as I write down certain things that are true, I then ask the question, is this the truest thing about me? You know, I might write down, I'm a son to Malcolm and Suzanne, also to my biological father, David. You know, I'm a son. That's true, but is that the truest thing about me? Because ultimately, there's going to be a day where perhaps, likely, my parents will pass before I do, and I won't actively be experiencing being a son here to earthly parents. And so though that is a true thing, that's not necessarily the truest thing about me. I'm a husband. Yes, but is that the truest thing about me? I'm a parent. Is that the truest thing about me? Those are true things, but is it the truest thing? I'm a pastor. I'm a runner. I'm a surfer. uh, I'm a learner. You know, I'm an Angelino. I live in Los Angeles. You know, I have a certain age. I have a certain height. These are true things about me, but are these the, the truest things about me? I found that often as we move throughout life, what we perceive to be the truest thing about ourselves is the core of our identity. And though we have given names given to us by our parents that people refer to us by that we might have on our you know, business card that we have at the bottom of our email signature, we might have social media handles so that are different usernames, but ultimately the truest thing in our mind about us is the core of our identity, and that is the name through which we move throughout life. And in the same way that a yo-yo, the Yahtzee game or Jenga has deep meaning, the core understanding of who we are changes how we see ourselves, 
changes how we see others, changes how we see God, changes how we move throughout life. And ultimately, there is the truest thing about you that, that is the thing that orients yourself throughout life. And the truth is, is that if we don't get down to the truest thing about ourselves from God's point of view, ultimately our identity, the name in which we give ourselves, ultimately we will hit a roadblock, we'll hit a dead end, we'll fall off a cliff. Some of the most significant things that I've seen as a pastor are when people's identities can't sustain the weight of their souls, I'll say it that way. You know, I've had people who, let's say, are, are, are famous athletes, and that's their whole identity. They believe that's the truest thing about themselves. And ultimately, what happens when they retire, when they get cut from the team? Or a person whose whole identity is in the work that they do, what happens when they retire or when they get fired? Or when a person's entire identity is in being a parent, what happens when their kids grow up and move away? And I've seen it time and time again when people's names, and what I'm not talking about is their given name, but at the core fundamental identity of what they believe to be the truest thing about themselves, when that shatters against the rocks of reality. And so as I've done this, this exercise, as I get deeper and deeper and deeper, the deepest I can get, when I hit bedrock, is when I write down on the notepad, I am someone made in the image of God, whom God loves, and whom God has a plan for my life. And as I explore the vastness of that bedrock, this isn't getting deeper, but this is just the vastness of that bedrock, I begin to say, I'm a beloved child of God. I'm a new creation in Christ. I'm part of the royal priesthood. I begin to write down things that are true about me according to Scripture because not I'm a pastor, not I'm a son, I'm not I'm a father. Those are true things, but not the truest thing because I've put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Those things became true. But even if you have yet to put your faith and trust in Jesus, this is the good news of the gospel, the great news of Christmas Day, is that even if you haven't said yes to Jesus, I'm telling you the truest thing about you, even if you don't know it, is that you are someone made in the image of God whom God loves and God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And God longs for you to, to open up that gift, to know that you're not an accident, you're not a mistake, you're not some random collection or a result of evolution that just this haphazard accident. But ultimately, God made you. Psalm 139 says that you were knit together in your mother's womb, even if you've never met your mother. That even if you have dark thoughts and awful thoughts, even if you've experienced remarkable loss in your life, that God says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made and God knows your thoughts and loves you and has a plan and a purpose for your life. And when you acknowledge the name Jesus as your Lord and Savior, with empty hands of faith, you receive Jesus into your life through faith. And you don't have to understand the full picture you don't have to have a perfect grasp of who God is. I often say this to my 10-year-old son. If we were to understand God perfectly, if we were able to wrap our mind around who God is and all of God's character and how God does things and why God does things, if we were to understand it perfectly, then that God would be smaller than us. 
Because if we could wrap our minds around God, then by definition, God is smaller than us. And that ultimately is not a God to be worshipped, not a God to follow, not a God to be praised. I'll go on to explain this to my son. And I'll say, you know, if an ant was to fully understand who you were, Judah, as a 10-year-old boy, either you would be smaller than that ant or that ant would be bigger than you. But in actual fact, that ant can never understand who you are, but that doesn't change the reality that you are. A real boy with hopes and dreams, with a past, with a present and a future. Just because that ant can't understand you doesn't mean that limits the true reality of who you are. And yet that ant can come into contact with you. That ant can perceive at the level that an ant can in the same way we can begin to perceive that there is a God who loves us, that created all things, that doesn't ask us to go to God in perfection, but comes to us in our brokenness and says, I've made a way. I've paid the price. I've made it possible for you to experience not only on this side of eternity, but into eternity, the fullness of this life that I designed for you. And you put your faith and trust in Jesus on the name that is above all names, Yeshua, Jesus the Christ, then you receive a new name as a beloved child of God, adopted into God's family. As Philippians 1.6 says, the God who begins a good work in you will carry it on to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. You might've had awful things said about you, but God looks at you in Christ and says, you are my beloved. You know, when you go to sleep at night, what is the tape that plays in your head? What are the things that uh, you tell yourself? You know, it could be bad things or it could be good things. You could be saying, you know, I'm a failure. I missed that opportunity. I'm never going to measure up. I'm this, I'm that. Or it could be, oh, man, I am, I'm on top of the world. Look what I've done. Everybody should just, you know, give me more. And both of those things are self-focused, but ultimately they hit the end of the road. We reach a roadblock in those identities. And on this Christmas day, God is longing for you to put your faith and trust in Jesus to know that despite of what you've done, despite of what you failed to do, not your bad deeds nor your good deeds makes you beloved, but it's simply faith and trust in Jesus Christ that God looks at you and says, you have a name. Now, what's remarkable is to also know this, that there's gonna be a day in the new heavens and the new earth where it says that God will reveal to us our true name. Now, there's great mystery uh, here in this. Uh, it says in scripture in different places that, um, that our names have been written in the palm of God's hand. And uh, though you know me as Drew, my legal name is actually David Andrew Sams. And perhaps that's something new you've learned about me today. Uh, that's my legal name, even though everybody refers to me as Drew. And yet there is this deeper sense, I wonder and I believe based on that scripture, is there a name that actually my heavenly father has given me that I don't know? That has deep meaning. You know, I've, I've always been... Uh, not jealous. Uh, uh, I've always been uh, fascinated by cultures where the name of an individual actually has deep meaning. We see this in the Native American community where a name given actually means something great. We see this uh, in, the, in the Chinese community where a name is actually something that means something, that it's more than just, uh, you know, Drew. <laughs> Uh, or Becca, or Frank, that there's actually this deep, deep phrase that perhaps has to do with family history, that perhaps has to do with uh, a, a hope or a desire. 
that the family has for you. And so I wonder if we're going to be one day in God's presence and God's going to reveal to us our true name, that actually in that moment we will realize that resonates so deeply in our hearts, that cuts through all the layers of our psyche, that gets down in the depth of our soul, that reveals the trueness of who we are, that God the Father says, this is who you really are. You know, we see, as it says in Scripture, in a mirror dimly, one day we're going to see face to face. And so we can begin to grasp the truest thing about ourselves right now. This is a journey that will last into eternity. And so again, my hope and my prayer is that you would put your faith and trust in Jesus if you haven't. And if you already have, to know that the name Jesus, when applied to you, gives you a new name right now, which is beloved, child of God, precious possession, part of a royal priesthood, a holy nation, but also one day I believe there's going to be a name that will be revealed to you that has been given to you from before eternity began. That's the first part. The second part is that actually when you begin to experience Jesus in your life, when you cultivate that relationship, when you spend time in prayer, when you get into God's word, when you spend time in Christ-centered community, it actually begins to reframe the names of everything around you. First, it'll reframe the things in your life that I, frankly, can take for granted. It can reframe all of those things to the name gift. To realize that all these things in my life, though I can take them for granted, are a gift, ultimately a gift from God. And it reframes the names of those things from mine that I hoard, that I protect, that are for me, to things that I've been given by God to steward well. And as I cultivate that relationship with God, I begin to experience this right relationship with God through faith and trust in Jesus. I follow Jesus in my everyday life. It changes the names of those things in such a way that it causes me to realize, oh, these are things that God has given me, not just for me, but for the flourishing of those around me. And I can begin to see these things, again, not as mine. I give them a different name. They're gifts not only for me, but through me to other people. And it enables me to hold the things in my life, even the things that I got for Christmas today, with an open hand. That I don't hoard, that I don't protect, that I don't make my identity, but I see that I can enjoy, that I can ultimately trace back to God in, but also to share with my family, to share with my friends, to share with strangers. I found that as I've moved throughout life, following Jesus, It reframes the name of every single thing in my life. But it also reframes the name that I give to work. You know, work can be this word, especially as I put the emphasis on it with my face, you know, work, ah, you know, just... There's some of us that work is the last thing that we want to do, that work is such a, it's a four-letter word for some of us. But when we walk with Jesus and we begin to see our work through God's point of view, and again, this was the sermon from last week when I talked about wonder in the mundane, that actually everything we can do, we can do for the glory of God. There's this opportunity to see our work as a a context, an environment, an opportunity to connect with God, to worship God, to in those moments do things to be part of the flourishing of other people that actually we can see these things as holy moments, whether at home, in the office, on a Zoom, 
whether it's raising up the next generation, whether it's uh, working solo or freelance or working part of a team, whether you have a boss or you are a boss, that work can actually have a new name and it can be an assignment, something that God has given you, something that God has called you to so that you can follow Jesus in in the context of that work. And then finally, it can actually begin to rename the circumstances of your life. You know, as I've encountered Jesus in the midst of the highs and in the lows, I realize that God is a God who can do anything that God wants. And when there are situations that formerly without God seem hopeless, that actually God gives them a new name. So when there's a couple that has a relational dynamic that is broken, perhaps there's been infidelity, perhaps there's been a deep betrayal of trust, that we might give the name of that situation hopeless, but perhaps God gives a different name and he says, this is where I do my best work. We look at cancer and we might say it's uh, untreatable. And God might give it a new name if God so chooses and to say, miraculously healed. You see, as we move throughout life, circumstances will pop up into our lives and how we narrate those circumstances actually can be traced all the way back to how we view the world and how we view the world is basically traced all the way down to the truest thing about ourselves. So if the truest thing about ourselves is that we are a victim, how we see ourselves and how we narrate circumstances will always be from a victim mindset. But if we see ourselves in our own strength and our own abilities and our own whatever as always victorious, the truest thing about ourselves is that we're always right, that we always need to be in control. It changes our worldview and it actually begins to narrate things. And when we make mistakes, we won't acknowledge it. We'll blame other people. It'll always be somebody else's fault. But ultimately, there's an opportunity as you grow your relationship with Jesus to have the truest narrator of all narrate your circumstances accurately. Again, this is a powerful, powerful way to view everything, every work, every circumstance, and ultimately every relationship in your life. And that's the power, and that's the wonder in the name of Jesus. This is not just some historical figure that we can learn from, that we can be inspired by. Jesus longs to be the Lord and Savior over every area of your life. And so on this Christmas day, every day, would you choose to open up that gift? The name Jesus, who isn't just a name on paper, who is a living, breathing God in the flesh the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Savior of your soul who longs to woo you, to rescue you, to carry you sometimes, to lead you, to comfort you, to encourage you, to strengthen you, to humble you, to lift you up in ways that nothing else can. So on this day, may God bless you and Merry Christmas. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that there is so much to unpack. You are the gift that keeps on giving a gift that can never be fully unwrapped. And so would we choose in this moment, even as we say your name, Jesus, would the power of your spirit enlarge our view of what that means? Would you give a deeper sense of what that means in our life, 
how you view us and how you cause us to view everything from your point of view. In your name, Jesus, we pray. We say together, 